Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back to The Deal Board, everybody. And today we have a very special show, uh, one that Jessica is going to take the lead on, and it is about women entrepreneurship. And... That segment of the economy is growing. It's growing out of control. And many economies are seeing more women entrepreneurs uh, than ever. I mean, it's, it, it's really a growing segment uh, in many economies across the world. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge growth. It, just in the U.S., we've seen a 58% growth since 2007 in the number of women-owned businesses just to give a little bit of comparison, the total number of new businesses has only grown 12%. So you've seen a 58% increase um, just in the women's sector, and that's been huge. But I know, Andy, you're looking up some stats, and you know there's some countries where the number of women entrepreneurs outnumber the number of men, right? Yeah, there's only one, and it's Ghana. But uh, they outnumber the men, and, there's, and it, of course, many of them are in the beauty segment, but uh, it, across the world, it ranges from 1.5%, which is obviously dismal, to 45.4% uh, in the 59 economies that are part of the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor Research Project. So, uh, but, you know, like you said, also in the UK, it's grown 45% between 2013 and 16. Three years, grown 45%. That is incredible numbers. Yeah, huge. And I mean, talk about economic impact in the U.S. You know, it's, it's about 12 million firms are owned by women, but they generate 1.7 trillion in sales and employ 9 million people. So obviously a big segment of businesses are owned by women and it's growing very, very well. And, you know, I think there's some, some things that uh, women are still facing in terms of challenges and in different industries, but overall women are really performing very well. And we've got a couple great women that are on our episode today talking about their expertise, not just in women-owned businesses, but their background as entrepreneurs as well. And Andy, I know you have some great examples of successful uh, women entrepreneurs in the South Florida area. Yeah, we know. I, I know many great women entrepreneurs uh, in the insurance industry and in the PR industry. Uh, I, I know one that owns the largest catering company, uh, Catering Hall, that I hold my pasta dinner in, that she's an incredible entrepreneur and uh, a huge philanthropist in town, one of the major hotel, uh, one of the hotels. And we had her son, uh, Dev, on our podcast, on our hotel. But uh, her, the mom, Romola, is an incredible entrepreneur. Uh, and we also have incredible entrepreneurs right here at Transworld. We have two Hall of Famers uh, in yourself, uh, you know, Jessica Fiakovich of uh, Denver, and then, of course, Karen Christensen in California. And we uh, see uh, many of our uh, entrepreneurs, I, many of our brokers and agents uh, who are female do very, very well in business. And 
you know, I hate to start throwing out generalities. Like they, they understand people better. They're better uh, able to deal with adversity, adversity or uh, better able to, uh, to multitask. I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to just pin things down, uh, but there's a huge, huge upspike and obviously w women rights and women equality that'll hopefully land my daughters in their own business one day too. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just lots of opportunity for women now and no matter what industry you're in, I, I think there's so much opportunity. So sometimes it's overwhelming and sometimes the risk is overwhelming. So, um, we have a few guests on the show today to talk about that and, and talk about how they, um, took advantage of the opportunities in front of them and overcame some of the adversity or the risk they faced. So we have Heidi Canal joining us. She was the founder of Camp Bow Wow, which is the largest, uh, pet care, uh, franchise in the world. Um, she was recently on our pet industry podcast as well. And then lastly, I talked to Laura Rich, who is a media entrepreneur, but also recently started the Exit Club, which helps um, all founders, not just women, go through the emotional side of buying and selling a business, um, which she found through herself that was just a little bit of a, a different factor that women take a little bit more personally through through the business sale because um, they're a little bit more attached to the business and all entrepreneurs have some type of attachment to the business. And that's, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think her, uh, her story is really great. And what she's doing with the exit club is fantastic. We've got some great expertise on the show um, just to talk about a little bit of those opportunities that women can take advantage of. And we see more women taking risk and it paying off, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you gave myself as an example, right? So I've been an entrepreneur for, you know, since I was in my early twenties and I've taken a risk multiple times. Joining Transworld was one of those, but it does pay off. I mean, it does take a lot of hard work and all of that other stuff that we always talk about, about success. Um, but, you know, I think women in general in any business bring a little bit of a different perspective. Um, and sometimes, you know, like you said, the generalities of hard work and things like that. Um, but if, they focus on it, um, like they focus on other things in their lives. Sometimes they're super successful. Um, I know Kevin O'Leary, one of the shark tanks, the shark sharks on shark tank. I think he's the most unliked one, right? Right, right, right. Um, but he says the, that the majority of the returns on his investment have come from women owned companies. Right. And so he's had very, a lot of success in, in partnering with women owned companies and, uh, you know, you, you, you have some great examples today and I think uh, some great stories that people can, they can learn from and, and, and be role models. And that's what we all need in this world, right? Good role models. Yeah. Good role models, good mentors. They'll take you a long way. Great. So let's get it started. Let's get to it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Welcome back, everybody. And today we are talking women in business and we're focusing on trends in women in business and also women in exits. And I have a woman who is a very successful entrepreneur and has also been through exits herself, Heidi Ganahl, joining us. Hi, Jess. It's great to be here. Well, 
Heidi, thanks for joining us again. And I know you, you were just on our pet industry franchise episode and talked a little bit about your exit with Camp Bow Wow. But today, I mean, you do so much work in the entrepreneurial community and specifically women in business. I really wanted to have you on as an expert to talk about women as entrepreneurs and the trends you see. So what, what do you see as trends of women entrepreneurs right now? Well, this, I think as I travel the country for She Factor and talk to young women that are in that critical decision-making point in their career early on, like, am I going to go the corporate route? Am I going to start my own business or work for a startup or do the gig economy? I think it really um, is getting more clear to young women that they have more choices than they've ever had before. But that can also be a bit paralyzing. So we need to really provide some confidence, some tools, some tactics on how do you know what's right for you? Do you? How do you know if you'd be a great entrepreneur? How do you know if you'd be a great business leader and move up the corporate ladder and, and end up as CEO someday? So I think it's helping young women navigate all the different choices and opportunities and making sure that it's a good fit for them is one of the key things I'm seeing. The other thing I'm seeing is that we're still not moving the needle at the top end, um, getting women from VP director level into the C-suite or onto boards. Um, it's discouraging. We're still at that point where I think we have 4% of our Fortune 500 CEOs are women. We haven't moved the needle there. We're moving the needle a little bit with women on corporate boards, but I think it's still only around 29% of women uh, or our people on boards, public boards, are women. So there's a gap there. So we have to figure that out and keep working at it and looking at it with a different perspective. Yeah. I've, lots of interesting things there. You know, we've had that conversation about corporate boards a lot and that women should be more focused on trying to get themselves on the boards too. It's great experience, but also like what's it really interesting, what you just said is there's so many options. It's almost paralyzing. Right. And yeah. I think that's true too. Like one of my follow-up questions was like, is there specific industries that you see women succeeding in more, but with all of the choices that people have now, it's, it's pretty hard for a woman in business to decide like, okay, I'm going to start a business, but like, where do you start? Right. Yeah. And it's especially discouraging when you look at the amount of VC money, venture capital money that's going towards women, it's not moving. It's very little. I can't remember the latest stat, but it's something horrible. Like 10% of VC money goes to women's startups. Um, so that's a key issue. Another key issue is, um, you know, really giving women the confidence that they can go out and knock it out of the park with their own business. There are only um, a small percentage of women-owned businesses that reach a million dollars or more in revenue. I think it's 4%. So there's something going on there. It's like a self-imposed glass ceiling. So we've got to make sure that women who decide to go the startup route have the confidence and the tools and the resources they need and the funding to make it across the finish line, but to also think really big and get past whatever it is that's keeping them from getting past the million dollars in revenue. Right. Yeah. I, we see that a lot. Um, the million dollar mark is one, I think that's well-researched and well-documented. One of the other things that's, that's not researched, but we see in our work is there is a very small percentage of women-owned companies or women-owned businesses that exit or pursue an exit. It's uh, drastically mm -hmm. smaller than uh, male-owned companies. So why do you think there's fewer women-owned companies that pursue an exit or eventually sell? I think for women, um, I think it's the stat we just talked about that a lot of women-owned businesses don't get past the million-dollar mark. And so if you sell, it's a lot harder to, you know, after you pay the brokers and you pay the um, the taxes and, and all, you know, the accounting fees, the audit fees, it's there's not a lot left in the pot, you know, to make it worthwhile to sell. 
Um, but if, you know, if you um, look at it from a different perspective, that a lot of women that start businesses do it for the lifestyle to be have flexibility with their family, to be able to be their own boss, to, you know, um, be home with their kids if they need to. So I think at that point, they're making the decision not to sell for a different reason. If they're getting a good income off the business and it's working well, then, you know, what are they going to do if they sell? Right. And I mean, there's, there's definitely, I think women have more passion tied to their businesses than, you know, men typically are looking more at the numbers with businesses. Um, and also I, I wonder about the phenomenon too. You talk like, there's a lot of people that talk about when uh, a man goes to apply for a job, if they fit one out of 10 criteria, they'll apply, right? And if yeah. a woman fits nine out of 10, she won't apply because she's missing that one key um, key experience. But I wonder if it's the same with businesses, right? Where I talk to a lot of women and they wonder if their business is even sellable. Um, and I don't see that as much in the male-owned businesses because they have the confidence that like, I've built something, it's worth something. And women doubt them themselves a little bit that what they've built is worth something or that somebody would actually want to buy it from them. I think that's accurate and it's unfortunate, but um, I I think that goes back to the confidence issue and um, this idea that, you know, I can start a business, I can keep it small, I can, you know, keep it nimble, but um, if I really want to knock it out of the park, am I, am I capable of that? Am I, um, do I have the right tools and resources? Do I have the right people around me? And, um, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to find, um, you know, great mentors and, and folks who have done it before you specifically women, because like we talked about, there aren't a ton of women that have sold a business for over a million dollars or, you know, as it gets bigger and bigger. Right. I, I think the mentor thing is key. And I, I know your work with G Factor, which we're going to talk about in a little bit is it helps with that. And there's other networks across the U S that help connect women entrepreneurs with other mentors. I mean, Heidi, you've been a great mentor and set a great example for a lot of people with your exit of Camp Bow Wow. But on this podcast, if you could share just some advice with women that are building companies um, and hopefully towards an exit, like what advice would you give them or how would you tell them to make an impact in their work? Well, I think you've got to build your business around something that you love, that you're passionate about because you're going to eat, live, breathe it. Breathe it. Um, and so if you're passionate about what you're doing, it helps you get over that hump when you don't feel like, you know, doing a meeting or filling out the paperwork or filing your registration for the secretary of state, whatever it is. So I think passion is critical to that. But then also just being brave enough to ask incredible women that are around you, whether virtually or in your neighborhood or in your market, to go to coffee and talk. And to break down those barriers or this thought in your mind that, that the CEO doesn't have time to meet with you, just try it and get on LinkedIn, find some great women leaders that you look up to that you want to emulate and ask them to go to coffee or ask them to do a call. Uh, most of the women I know are very willing to do that. Right. And I mean, I, the, one of my friends told me once, like, your life's not long enough to make all the mistakes yourself, right? So it's better to learn. And it's not just mistakes, right? But learn from other people's expertise and experience and get their opinions. And you're right. Um, you know, I think we're very blessed in Colorado that we have such a great entrepreneurial community. But there's a lot of other cities across the country like that where people and women especially are willing to sit down and help new entrepreneurs in their journey. Yeah, I think so too. And and there's some incredible co-working spaces popping up for women, but men can be great um, mentors too. I, I, you know, even though I have she factor, we definitely engage men in the conversation because 
mean, they have wives and daughters and, and they, you know, have reports that are women and they want women to succeed. I think this perception that we have to go it alone and figuring this out as women is wrong. We need men in the game. We need them in the conversation and they want to help. So I would say, you know, don't be shy, you know, pick some people that you'd really like to meet, go out and, um, you know, be brave enough to ask them if, if you can connect with them or hang out with them, go to some women's co-working spaces, some networking events, and, you know, of course, hop on She Factor and, and uh, become part of that community too, and we'll help as much as we can. Yeah, exactly. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about She Factor? We've talked a little little bit about it in this interview, but tell us, you know, why you founded She Factor and what kind of resources are available for women? Sure. Um, Well, in my role as the University of Colorado Regent, I talk to young women a lot that are just graduating from college or going through college trying to figure out what they want to do. And at the same time, a couple of years ago, my oldest daughter graduated from college and had that same, um, you know, lack of clarity around what she wanted to do. So I I looked around. There weren't a lot of good tools and resources for the kind of post-college launching your life time and decided to create a book, an app that goes with it, and live squads or, or chapters around the country where we could build a community where young women could support each other. We could, uh, you know, they could receive coaching from more experienced, successful women and men, and really just have some fun and make it playful and not so serious, and and encourage them to take risks and try things and. And also think more broadly about their life, not just about their job, but what kind of lifestyle they want to have. Do they want to work in the gig economy? Do they want to work for a corporation? Do they want to do a startup? And really help them navigate that. So that's what Chief Factor is about. It's a live and digital platform, and they can enter in lots of different ways through the podcast or thechiefactor.com is the website, or download the app, or buy the book, or ask your mom or dad or grandparents to buy the book for you. It's a great gift. And um, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're hoping to reach or bring in over a million young women into our community in the first year, which is uh, which just launched in May. It's, it's amazing. I think it's a great um, it's a great business and it's going to provide a lot of impact to young women. I mean, what we were talking about earlier in this interview of just having too many choices, having a tool like this to navigate yeah, your life and figure out what you want and where you're really going to make a big impact. But we'll drop the, that link into our show notes too. It's the shefactor.com. Um, also, you can download the She Factor app on any of the app stores. And don't forget to support their podcast as well, uh, which we'll link to in our show notes as well. But Heidi, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your insights about women in business. And we wish, wish you the best of luck in uh, the future endeavors with She Factor. Well, thanks so much, Jess. Keep up the great work. And um, I just, I'm so encouraged by uh, meeting the folks that you work with and the amazing work you're doing. I'm really proud to be a part of it. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Welcome back, everybody. And today we are telling stories about women-owned businesses. And we have a recently closed transaction, successful transaction. And I have Patrick Bombardier from our Transworld Rocky Mountain office joining us to share that with us. Patrick, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So you just recently uh, closed or sold a women-owned business in the healthcare industry. Tell us a little bit about that business and how that got started. Sure. So uh, the business that um, we were successful in selling was a CPR instruction and first aid instruction business where um, a woman who was a CPR instructor saw a need that there weren't a lot, it wasn't a lot of competition and some people weren't really doing it well in the market um, in terms of catering to instructors and 
um, and, and companies looking to train their employees in CPR and first aid. So she was an instructor and decided that she would just go really out on a limb and start the business herself. She had no customer. She really had just a few um, clients that she knew, um, but she started it from scratch, did a little uh, pounding of the pavement and started getting some large um, corporate cu- customers and other um, instructors. And she built that business over a course of 15 years um, to really one of the larger ones um, in uh, Colorado. And then eventually she got a little bit older. She got uh, married and decided that she, her and her husband wanted to start a family. So we were uh, able to sell that business um, and forwarded some time off with, you know, uh, so she and her husband could, could start a family. Well, that's great. It's a great story. I love how she saw a need in the marketplace and decided to solve it, built the customers, everything bootstrapped. So sounds mm-hmm. like a really great business. So when you went to sell the business, where uh, where did the buyer come from or who was the buyer for the business? The buyer was a, um, a former professor who had kind of worked in um, uh, the healthcare, health-related health education field who had recently retired but wasn't really ready to fully retire. Um, was looking for something that he still liked the quote teaching kind of aspect and it was really a perfect fit because he had a passion for the industry and also passion for um, teaching and so um, it was really a perfect fit for the two really from the moment that we introduced them we knew kind of this was this was the most probable and, and, and best buyer that we could have found. Right. And we always talk about that most probable buyer. So tell us the details. Tell us about the numbers. What was the SDE on this healthcare company and what was the ultimate sales price? So um, the SDE on it was right at about $90,000 and she ended up selling it for right at $250,000. So it was a little bit under uh, three times and uh, multiple. And she ended up carrying um, a 20% note on it. Um, The buyer got an SBA loan. Uh, put I think 10 or 15% down if, if I have that right. And then the, the buyer, or excuse me, the seller carried a small note on the back. Nice. So most, still most of the cash at closing, but good kind of facilitation of a number of different financing options. Well, it sounded like that all parties, the deal worked out very well for them. Congratulations on a great transaction, Patrick. And thank you for sharing it with us. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks again for having me. Welcome back, everybody. And today, as you know, we're talking about women in business and specifically women in entrepreneurship. And I have a very successful entrepreneur with me for this interview, Laura Rich, who is a digital media expert and founder of The Exit Club. After a long career as a journalist for The New York Times, Condé Nast, Fast Companies, Fast Company, and others, she launched a media business in 2011 and successfully sold it in 2017, growing the business double digits year over year and returning value to investors. Laura now runs Exit Club, which guides entrepreneurs towards a great post-exit life. Her podcast, The Exit Club, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, you've done so many great things in your life. Um, you know, why don't we just start a little bit about talk of, talk about, you know, why you became an entrepreneur? Like, what was that story for you? Why did you launch your media business in 2011? Yeah. Um, so I, I had a long career as a journalist and uh, a business journalist. So I think I just kind of always had my eye on what other people were doing in business. I covered the dot-com boom with all these entrepreneurs just finding opportunity and what was going on in the world. And I think I kind of just had a bug for that and, and kept starting little businesses. 
And with my business that I started in 2011, Street Fight, what was happening there was that I was seeing a new trend in the marketplace. And as a journalist, I saw it first as a story, but it seemed to be bigger than a story. It seemed like what was happening was that there was a new sort of industry or sub-industry in, in, the, in the tech world that was in need of some guidance or community. Um, and so I started a media business to bring those companies together and provide content and community for them and help them really self-identify um, and put a, put a label around who they were and what they were doing. So, you know, you start this little business and I'll, I'll pick on you for the little business thing sure. later, <laughs> yeah, but, no um, you know, you grow it over time, obviously doubling year over year is a crazy growth an amazing growth. And then you get towards the end, you know, we'll fast forward through, through for all the listeners to get to the end, mm-hmm. but you know, you decide to exit and talk to us a little bit about like, why did you decide to exit about at that point? Like, what was the impetus for you to think about moving on to something new? Sure. So, um, let's see. So we had been running the business. I had a business partner and we'd been running the business for about five years. And even though we'd had that great growth, it's, you know how it is. It's easy to say, um, you know, double digit year over year when you're starting from zero. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it was, we had all this great growth, but it really was still not enough. We needed either investment or, or, I don't know what else, um, you know, something, something like investment. So uh, we needed investment or we needed a strategic partner. So we decided not to look for investment, but to find a new home for Street Fight. And at the same time, I was also feeling ready to start something new. As I mentioned, um, for years, I've always had ideas of things that I wanted to go out and start like many people. Um, but I knew I could go out and start something now if I wanted to. Um, and I felt like, you know, we were just reaching this point where, um, it would be nice for street fight to have a new home, have more resources around it. And that I had taken it to a point where it was going to be fine even without me. So, but I did end up staying on with the company for a bit. Um, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how we got to exit. Right. And, you know, it's funny, we talked about this in a previous episode about when is it time to sell? There's a lot of people that talk about, you know, you, you build this company, you make it something great and you get it to a point and there, that's really when the time when it needs to go. Some people are, are great at starts. Some people are great at growth, but you, you talking about, you know, needing investment or needing a strategic partner, that's the same trigger that a lot of entrepreneurs face um, when it's time to sell, when they know it's time to sell. So right. today, you know, we're talking about women in business and women entrepreneurs and you and I, you know, now both play in the exit world and we'll talk about exit club in a little bit, but where, where do you see women in terms of exits and M&A? Um, you know, do you see that trend growing that more women-owned companies are approaching exits or, or what's your experience in the field that you see with women? Yeah, that's a really great question. So in my, um, in my experience with exit club, which is the business I have now around helping entrepreneurs have a great post-exit life, which means planning for it ahead of time. Um, But as I was doing my research for that and um, looking for podcast uh, subjects and just trying to learn more about people's exit experiences, I didn't come across too many women. There were way more men who have had exits, so to your point. And, you know, I think that 
I think it comes down to um, it's a it's a pipeline issue. There aren't as many um, women-owned companies that are funded, and not to the same degree. And, you know, name name the unicorn companies that are run by women. You know, right. I, I can't name a single one. So there isn't the same backing. There isn't the same pressure. And there's sort of, I think, maybe not the same track for those companies. Um, but I also think that it may be a culture thing, too, where um, men approach this. These are broad strokes here. But that men look at starting a business um, often. Um, with exit in mind or, you know, with that intention. And I don't know that that's always true for women, but that's totally broad strokes. I mean, I have to say for me, I did always plan to exit. That was always part of the plan. Um, so I, I, I didn't intend for it to be, you know, a, a lifestyle business or something that I would run forever. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think the plan with starting the, with the exit in mind, um, is really, really a good point. And I think a lot of, um, men do think about that and women, you know, I, I think a lot of people start their, um, entrepreneurial career kind of as accidental entrepreneurs or hobby businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, especially women, you see a lot of people, I mean, entrepreneurship's great if you're like, you know, you just have your first child and you're looking for a way to build a side hustle and then your side hustle becomes a full-time job and then your full-time job becomes a big business. Right. And I don't right. think a lot of women with those types of companies have the forethought that, all right, I'm going to build this thing and I'm going to exit it. Um, right. and I also, I also see too, a lot that, and this is when I was going to pick on you for your little businesses, right. That, um, <laughs> men t- tend to have tons of confidence going into this exit process, right? I, mm-hmm. I joke all the time that I never talk to a guy and he undervalues his company, right? It's always like a yeah. conversation of like, all right, well, we're going to have to kind of work towards that valuation. And it's the reverse almost with women, right? right? They're almost, so. almost surprised that somebody would pay for their company, that they've built anything of value at all. Um, so I, I think there's that too, where, you know, I worked mainly in the main street market, which is, um, small to mid-sized businesses. And a lot of the women that I work with are like, wait, somebody would give me a million dollars for my company. I thought I could only exit if it was worth a hundred million dollars. And you know, like, no, no, like people buy businesses for those prices all the time too. So I think it's a little bit of that. And I love your comment about the pipeline and there's just so many more women dominating in different industries that I think, the number of exits we see women make are going to drastically increase over the next decade. Yeah. Well, I think, I think part of that pipeline issue too is who is, who are the people advising um, female entrepreneurs, right? And so if we have more businesses like Elvest and other women run funds and more um, women advisors, then it's not going to be like, I, I feel like, you know, again, broad strokes, but I think there are a lot of women who listen to men um, and not think for themselves so much. Um, so, you know, I talked to one woman who she was clearly in a very bad deal and she, she couldn't find her voice and the confidence to not go ahead with the deal because she was getting, she just had all of these men who were telling her um, that she should just do the deal. And it meant that she wasn't going to get as much money as she could. Um, she was going to end up um, working more hours and she was going to be locked in for, for a, a, quite a while. Um, 
and and she had alternatives and she wasn't she wasn't ready to take that. But you know, it's also interesting the valuation part of it or the or the value yeah, the valuation um and the value of, of the business. So I had a male business partner and um I was the CEO, so I was pretty focused on what the business was and how it was all working and he was on the um, product side and not really as in tune with um, the market as much. I don't know if that's exactly the right way to put it, but he saw the value of our company as so much greater and, and really unrealistically so much greater than, than it was. Um, And so, so even though I expected we'd get less and he hoped he, he expected we'd get more, um, and that could fall along those gender lines of, you know, just, uh, it, it does a little bit, except that it, in this case, I, well, maybe, maybe I am making your point for you, which is that he was living in a fantasy <laughs> land of, um, of course we should get a lot of money for our company and not thinking twice and not trying to tie it to, um, you know, actual numbers. And maybe I'm making your point for you. Yeah. I I mean, I think the truth always lies somewhere in the middle. Right. So, but there is, there is a notion of like, you don't ask, you don't get. And I I do think again, generalizing or generalizing here a lot, but a a lot of women don't expect to get not even a lot, but anything for some of their companies. And I think that's why at least from my seat, I don't see a lot of exits in smaller businesses that are women run yet. Um, but Mm -hmm. I do back to the the stats, like they're just, there's a lot more companies companies and a lot more industries that are women run and industries that are becoming more women dominated. So I think we're going to see more of those, um, you know, and I I guess, and this was kind of where I'm going to transition to an exit club is, you know, and I think this happens to men too, but the emotional ride of selling your business, um, is pretty significant and something people don't really talk about. And I think, especially if you've started your company as a side hustle or a hobby, something you never really plan to exit, that emotion can be even higher. So why don't we talk a little bit about exit club and, and why you started exit club and kind of what the focus is of that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I started exit club, um, to, to address what I saw I see as a problem in, I guess you could say M and A, but it's really in the whole entrepreneur experience. So exit club is really focused on helping entrepreneurs have a great post exit life. And, um, what people don't tell you is that exiting is not easy. It's, 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 Exiting itself is emotionally challenging, but then you expect that, okay, once I get through this, um, you know, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Everything's going to be great. But the truth is it's really not like that. You've spent all this time um, merging your identity with your business. It's been your sole purpose. It's it's all you think about um, or most of what you think about. It's um, the structure to your day um, and it's, it's, it's very grounding for a lot of people. And once that's gone, um, it's challenging. And how about when, you know, you have to go and work for somebody who's now calling the shots on your business. That's really challenging as well. And so um, I wanted to support that post exit period because I talked to so many entrepreneurs who really struggled with that. Um, You know, they, they went through these identity crises and existential crises and, um, and create and 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 had a hard time starting a next business because they had this fear of failure. It's also you know now you know what you didn't know before. Um, <laughs> so there's 
partly that. Um, but it's, it's a very challenging problem or period. And the other part of it is it's very lonely because no one wants to hear your sob story of, you know, you had this great exit and now you're really sad. Um, so exit club was created to, um, give people a way of sharing with others who have been through it and, um, and to use a framework, um, to help them move on from their business in a way that is sort of processing out of it. So, you know, kind of recovering from your business in, in a very, um, intentional way. And then moving on to like, grounding yourself in, okay, I, I went through this experience. I'm detaching from it now. And so now who am I? And then where do I go from here? Um, and then also, you know, what I really want to do is to work with entrepreneurs and I've begun to, to convince some people that this is important. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to think about exit too early because they're afraid that they'll, you know, jinx it. So, um, but I, I, I've, started convincing some entrepreneurs that they should think about it early on and start imagining what they want their post-exit life to be and then to, um, you know, start preparing for it. So you don't arrive post-exit and go, oh, no, you know, I didn't expect this and it's very traumatic. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking about women and exit, then in that situation, um, you know, even even more so, the women I've talked to have been a little anxious about presuming that they're going to have an exit and um, that it's going to, you know, deliver all these great things. So it's, it's an interesting challenge, I think. And I, I, I do think, you know, again, it's a pipeline issue and it's that changes. Um, so will everything else. Right. Right. I, I do agree with you. I think, you know, and I, I really commend you for starting exit club because we see it a lot when people sell their companies, it is, it's an emotional process and, you know, there's, there's, this um, crisis that sometimes occurs, especially if it's a, a first-time seller, right? right, where their role mm-hmm. is tied up or their identity is tied up in their role as the business owner. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, myself, I went through the same, and me and you have talked about this, I went through the same crisis when I sold my first company, even though, you know, I was done with the company, I thought I wanted to be as far as away as possible. But in many mm-hmm. regards, the day after I sold the company was, you know, one of the hardest days of my career because you wake up and you're like, all right, who am I now? now. Um, right. And a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with that. And you're right. But many entrepreneurs do not talk about it. And I think Exit Club is a great outlet um, for people to discuss that. And, you know, we could stereotype and say women, um, you know, have more emotions around this process, but actually I find it not to be true. I find men struggle just as much emotionally yeah, of detaching definitely. their identity, identity from the role of the business owner. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's a really, great concept. And I know you're telling a lot of stories through podcasts and speaking, but you're also working on some masterminds and coaching too. So that's, I think that's fantastic. And definitely when we end the episode, we want to know how to get in contact with you. But before we wrap up, I guess just after your journey of being in the media corporate world, starting your own media company, selling your company, if you had some words of advice to give to a woman listening out there that's either thinking about starting her own company or maybe buying a company, becoming an entrepreneur for the first time, what would be your words of advice? Becoming an entrepreneur for the first time. I think everything is about, um, I don't want to say network because that implies um, a sort of value or something. But I think it's about 
finding mentors and having the right um, support around you as you're moving forward. I think that's really key, whether that's just to help you navigate through the experience, um, I guess, emotionally, but it's also, you know, helping, if, you know, having mentors who are domain experts who can help you navigate through where you, um, the area you want to get into. But I think actually the most important thing is it's to listen to yourself. And I think that's where women fall down a lot is not listening to themselves and their gut, which is so incredible. I think women have a much better gut instinct than men do. And to listen to that is really important and an invaluable lesson. Yeah. Listen to your gut and back it up with, you know, some great advice from mentors and people that are advising you. Um, Laura, this interview has been great. I've loved all the insights we've taken away from it. If our listeners want to get in touch with you um, further or learn more about Exit Club, what is the best way to reach you? Yeah. So I can be reached at Laura at exitclub.co, C-O, or on my website, exitclub.co, where there's a little bit more information about Exit Club. Right. And of course you can find the exit club podcast, like I said, on iTunes, Google play and Spotify. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show for the listeners. We'll drop that contact information into the show notes and we hope to have you on the show again soon. Yeah. It was great talking with you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time. Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we have listing of the week. And I have our very special partner in Raleigh, North Carolina, Transworld Business Advisors of Raleigh. And I have Stephen, Steve Wright back on the show. And Steve uh, has a, a great example of a woman entrepreneur business that is looking to sell. So, Steve, welcome. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, glad to be on the show. I really appreciate it. The the lady that owns this restaurant was actually re- inspired by her dad. And so her dad retired, you know, really middle age because he had started a business and grown a business. And the, the lady who owns this restaurant, you know, she was inspired. She said, look, that's one thing on my bucket list that I want to do. And she has really grown a very successful Raleigh business. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's really neat to work with her because we're getting to see her dream come true. Wow. So, so she built the restaurant. It, it has, you were telling me before the show, it has great reviews. It, uh, it's a great place. It's a landmark. Yeah. So, uh, it's really, it's really a destination place. Uh, obviously it's here in Raleigh, but, uh, there, there are people who fly in. And so there's some signature dishes that this restaurant has. And so people, literally fly here they fill up the restaurant i mean the hotel across the street with guests many times because people want to get um social media pictures with one of their entrees so they have over 800 google reviews wow and uh yeah it's it's pretty amazing long lines i mean you go you literally drive up and you're going to wait in line to get into the restaurant so it sounds like an amazing institution for sale uh, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Yeah, so let, let's talk about that a little bit. So um, we we've got the business listed at uh, nine ninety five, so it's uh, you know just under a million dollars, and uh, sellers discretionary 
uh, earnings is close to 400,000. And the neat thing about the numbers on this, they probably have, which isn't always true with restaurants, they probably have the very best books of any business in all of Wake County. It, It is amazing. And so this also has the property with it. And so if some, if someone wanted to also buy the property, uh, they own 10,000 square feet of property. Um, it, so, you know, they have tenants and, uh, it's kind of like in a flex space type. Uh, when I first met them, I said, Hey, do, you know, do you guys lease this? And she said, no, we actually bought where our restaurant is, but we were doing so well. We just went ahead and bought the whole, uh, strip center. Wow. And so that they have that available as well. The numbers that we have when we when we actually did the valuation for this business, we did it on 2018 numbers, and the 2019 numbers are up about 23% over 2018. So pretty remarkable. That's great. Sounds like a great deal. Uh, how best to get in touch with you if somebody wanted to learn more about this amazing opportunity in Raleigh? Yeah, so I, I would love to, to introduce someone to this remarkable lady, uh, the business owner that's grown this business. I would love to do that. And they can reach me at 919-379-5776. Or if someone just wants to Google Transworld Business Advisors of Raleigh, they can go to our website and all of our information and other listings are there as well. Great. We'll put it in our show notes as well. Steve, th- Steve thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's an honor to uh, to be on the show with you and Jessica, and it's great seeing the impact that this podcast is having nationwide. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.